0: Welcome to Stories of Emotional Granularity, a podcast that explores the diversity of emotional experience. In some respects, emotion is the most authentic experience people can have. We feel it first before anyone else can sense any of its secondary external manifestations. Nonetheless, emotion is a social concern. We worry whether our emotions are proper whether they are the right thing to feel. It's difficult to know whether our feelings are in an acceptable balance, however. Often, what feels in the moment like empowerment can end up undermining our relationships. Social expectations about emotion can be unclear and even contradictory. So it is with pride. Pride is the feeling of self-esteem, holding oneself in high regard. And pride is the subject of this week's podcast. Pride feels good in the moment, but from an external perspective, it's often accompanied by skepticism. Looming over the pleasure of pride is the question of whether that pride is justified or whether it's a delusion that reflects a flawed character. Pride carries the potential for a painful, ironic twist because it's simultaneously a description of praiseworthiness and an insult, describing a person who claims to be worthy of praise but is not. Pride is dignified and accomplished and ridiculous and phony. Pride was placed on the list of seven deadly sins, but when we observe that a person takes pride in their work, that's not an insult. When we say to a child, I'm proud of you, there is no sense of inappropriate arrogance that's implied. However, we can also describe a person as proud in order to communicate that they are haughty and full of themselves. Pride has always been a feeling that we aim to earn, even as we fear that we don't really deserve it. Questions about the proper place of the emotion of pride have been present for centuries. They're nothing new. Whenever I think about pride, I think of the novel Pride and Prejudice, which was written by Jane Austen back in 1813, The story centers around the uncertainty of pride, exploring our simultaneous admiration and disdain for those who hold themselves proud. The dramatic tension in the story begins when a wealthy man named Mr. Darcy arrives in a small town to visit his friend who has just rented the largest house in the community, his first appearance is at a local dance in which he refuses to participate by dancing with the main character, Elizabeth Bennet, implying that both she and the setting are unworthy of attention. This sets the townspeople talking. They are outraged at the insult, and yet some people refuse to criticize him, feeling that Mr. Darcy has the right to be proud because he is wealthy young, and good-looking. Elizabeth discusses the issue of Mr. Darcy's pride with her friend Miss Lucas and her sister Mary.
1: His pride, said Miss Lucas, does not offend me so much as pride often does, because there is an excuse for it. One cannot wonder that so very fine a young man with family, fortune, everything in his favor, should think highly of himself. If I may so express it, he has a right to be proud. "'That is very true,' replied Elizabeth, "'that I could easily forgive his pride "'if he had not mortified mine. "'Pride,' observed Mary, "'who piqued herself upon the solidity of her reflections, "'is a very common failing, I believe. "'By all that I have ever read, "'I am convinced that it is very common indeed.' that human nature is particularly prone to it, and that there are very few of us who do not cherish a feeling of self-complacency on the score of some quality or other, real or imaginary. Vanity and pride are different things, though the words are often used synonymously. A person may be proud without being vain. Pride relates more to our opinion of ourselves, vanity to what we would have others think of us.
0: You know, it's kind of funny because just before I was sitting down to record this week's podcast, I was having a chat with somebody and uh she asked me if I would go and perhaps dance with her on Friday night and I I said I don't know I don't dance you know and the truth is I realized in that moment how much I identify with the perspective of Mr Darcy who wants to preserve his sense of dignity by not demeaning himself with a a, a dance in front of company that he doesn't know, that he can't be sure of. In all of this time, I feel quite puffed up with pride myself. But in this version of Pride and Prejudice that you just heard, it's um, read by Karen Savage on LibriVox, which is a wonderful network of, in the commons, non-copyrighted works, audiobooks read aloud by volunteers we heard three different kinds of interpretations of Mr. Darcy's pride. It's really difficult to know what to make of that pride, and I sometimes feel that way about my own. Miss Lucas, in this passage, simply accepts that Mr. Darcy's position in society entitles him to feel pride, regardless of that feeling's impact on others. Elizabeth notes that the interaction was a complex kind of interplay between two feelings of pride, Mr. Darcy's and her own. And then Mary, for her part, distinguishes between pride and vanity, observing that Mr. Darcy was merely being true to his own high opinion of himself without regard to the opinion of others. Mary's point sounds reasonable. On the other hand, a question remains. What does it mean for a person to think of themselves so highly that they fail to consider the feelings of other people. What does it say about me that I'm so proud and I want to feel dignified myself that I'm not willing to get out and be ridiculous and dance with somebody else? Well, there's another voice, someone from our first season that you may remember, Savannah Hawk, that I wanted to listen to. Because Savannah Hawk argues for a different kind of understanding of pride. She distinguishes between the emotion of pride and the sense of pridefulness.
2: But when I speak of pride, I speak of it on a very personal level about being, you know, we talk about being prideful. It's not about being prideful. It's about being proud. Being prideful sometimes is you're a little too prideful. You're a little too, think too much of yourself. But if you're proud being prideful of yourself in that way. It's just, you just love yourself. I always see it as just, I love and I am confident and happy and content. And I am proud of the person I've become over these last 50 years. You know, you talked about my origin story and all the steps and all the things I take. And that's not unique to me. I'm not terminally unique. Every person on every journey in their life has moments and milestones that have led them to the person they are today. My pride comes in knowing who I am as a person and embracing that, embracing, just embracing and loving myself and having pride that I am this person. I think that being too proud, being too prideful would be akin to thinking that your way of loving and living is the only way of loving and living. I'm very proud of who I am and nothing else is like who I am. Everybody can be like who you are in all our different flavors. But to think that you are unique and the holy and only qualified to be righteously proud is where it becomes very problematic and dangerous. But we should all be proud of who we are, but just not proud at the sake and expense of somebody else.
0: Savannah balances the two aspects of pride by embracing the value of self-worth while simultaneously observing the impact of that feeling of self-worth on others. If Savannah had been standing with Miss Lucas, Elizabeth Bennet, and Mary, she might have called Mr. Darcy prideful rather than truly proud. In this formulation, a proud person remains capable of Perceiving the worth of the people around them, while a prideful person is so obsessed with their own pride that they become blind to the perspectives of others. Savannah has had to learn to cultivate her own sense of pride as a dual-gendered person in a society that expects everyone to conform to a single gender at all times. She is author of two books about her experience with this struggle both with the main title of living with cross-dressing, but with each book having a different subtitle, defining a new normal in one case and discovering your true identity in another. Gender and sexual identity are at the forefront of the conflicted image of pride this month because it's June, and June is celebrated as Pride Month. That's a time for LGBTQ plus people to show the world that they are proud of who they are. Pride is always controversial, though. And so Pride Month has also become a time for people to criticize LGBTQ plus people and call for an end to their pride. And I feel as if I'm entering tricky territory with this episode. I don't want this podcast to adopt any particular perspective on controversial social issues. That's not what it's about. I don't want to tell people what they should think or feel in the context of this podcast. I want it to be about the way that people do feel, whether that's right or wrong. I'm aiming for something that's more descriptive than proscriptive. I want to identify the ways that people experience themselves, the way they feel, being alive from the inside out. But, you know, the thing about pride is that it calls people out. Pride is a statement that invites a response, demands a response. Pride challenges people to take sides. And Pride Month provokes with a special intensity. This year, apparently, more than any other so far, it would be ridiculous to discuss the emotion of pride without considering the current controversies about Pride Month. An honest investigation of emotion will inevitably come upon controversy because emotion is about the subjective foundation for people's decisions about what matters in their lives. A dispassionate discussion of emotion just seems to miss the point. So I'm going to be referring to Pride Month, But the interviews that inform this episode were actually conducted months ago, long before Pride Month. Before the political arguments about what Pride Month means, before it all became so heated as it is now, I'm also going to try to consider the larger meaning of what Pride Month arguments tell us about the nature of Pride as an emotion. And in doing so, it's not my goal to tell people what they should think about Pride Month, but I would like to contribute some emotional depth that might broaden people's points of view, regardless of their political affiliation. Now, Pride, as it is expressed in Pride Month, asserts its positive form of self-knowledge and self-acceptance. It does, so, however, in reaction to a long history of negative rejection. Lee Wind, the author of the upcoming book, The Gender Binary is a Big Lie, told me of his own journey from fear into a kind of pride that is not willing to settle for mere toleration.
3: Hi, my name is Lee Wind. I write stories to empower kids and teens to be their authentic selves and change the world part of pride part of feeling good about being your authentic self is knowing that you are not alone in the world you are not alone in history i do think that that's actually the point of a lot of these book bans that are happening now and a lot of these anti-lgbtq laws that are happening all around the us in 2023 as we have this discussion is this idea that we can't pull the internet back it's impossible for these you can no longer grow up today if you have access to a, a smartphone and think that you are the only guy to like like other guys in the history of the world which is what i thought when i was growing up i didn't they didn't have the internet when i was in school and it was very scary i really felt like i was alone and unmoored and so discovering the fact that there have been men who love men all the way back to the time of you know confucius you know before china was unified there was this incredible story of the duke ling of Wei and the guy that he loved Mizzy Zia, and how they were walking through an orchard and mzizia picked a ripe peach off of a tree and started to eat it and it was so delicious that he stopped halfway through and offered the half-eaten peach to the Duke. And the Duke made a huge deal out of it. He was like, I can't believe that you would, you know, give up, this is not a direct quote, that you would give up your, you know, your pleasure to to share this delicious thing with me. Something about that moment really captured the imagination and resonated with people in pre-unified China to the extent that for over a thousand years, the way that they said gay, The way that they talked about two men in love was love of the half-eaten peach i just like my mind was blown i'm like this is i'm not alone i think that pride is not about like i did something good and i'm really proud i think pride really is about like i am my authentic self and that is enough i am good enough and i deserve to have space in this world and I am not alone. I have, there is a legacy of people that I am part of. And I think that that is very, very beautiful and very, very resonant. And there's there's been a whole movement in the educational sphere about teaching tolerance. And I've always bristled a little bit at that because I feel like tolerance is such a low goal. Shouldn't we be aiming for something beyond tolerating the people that are different than us? How about we celebrate our differences? How about we embrace them and and acknowledge that it's okay to be different you know when my parents came to america it was all about the melting pot it was all about basically subsuming who you were erasing who you were and becoming american quote unquote i don't even really speak hebrew that well because they didn't speak hebrew at home they only spoke english because they wanted my brother and i to do really well in school and we did do really well in school but at the loss of having a connection to the culture that our parents grew up in you know and i did take hebrew in college and my grammar's atrocious i i'm about as fluent as like a preschooler i think that our vision of what a pluralistic society has changed over time and now i don't think that's as common i think when families immigrate i do feel like they don't want to they do want their children to have the language that they that they came to america with they may also want their kids to learn English and do well in school, of course, but it's not an either or. We, we're so binary. And even in how I just presented that coloring page, it, it doesn't have to just be menorahs and Christmas trees. It could be a Kwanzaa display. I mean, it could be you know, some pagan celebration. It can be many, many things. And we should be strong enough as a community. We should be proud enough in who we are That it is okay that you celebrate something different than I celebrate. We can all still be a community together and support each other. And I think that that for me feels like that's pride.
0: Lee pursues the emotional implications of the language that has long sought to bridge differences by obscuring them, like cracks in a wall that are covered with successive layers of wallpaper each destined to split along the slowly expanding faults. Teaching tolerance is an alliterative phrase that seems inclusive to some, yet it suggests a continued marginalization to others, with toleration offering only a begrudging willingness to suppress expressions of outright rejection. Lee defines pride as the feeling of having sufficient strength in one's own self-image to allow others to be different, to be proud of themselves on their own terms. Pride Month, in this sense, could become an invitation for celebration of everybody's identity, not just the identities of LGBTQ people. Lee explains this expansive sense of pride in terms of his realization of the connections between his gay identity and his Jewish, atheist, and vegetarian identities. Pride, from this perspective, is not a zero-sum game.
3: I don't think pride is a zero-sum game. I don't think, I think, you know, if it's like pie, then maybe just bake more pies. It isn't It isn't that... You know, me being proud about being queer means I can't be proud about being Jewish or being an atheist or being a vegetarian or any of the many, many aspects of who I am. And yet, I do feel like in our culture today, we are sort of trained to be very laser focused. Like, what's your brand as an author? What are you doing? And how are you able to get people to care about what you're doing. I did have a lot of concern about like wow this book isn't necessarily on brand for me. And then when I stopped and I thought about it I'm like well actually it is on brand for me. It is very much about like being your authentic self and about encouraging kids to feel like they have agency and they can make a difference in our world and about how uh, we should be allies for each other. When I pull kind of pulled back, I was like, damn, it's exactly what I want to say in our world, just about a different part of me. And it was almost like I had to open myself up and recognize that like, okay, if it's pie, I can bake another pie. There is enough pride within me for all the different parts of who I am that I can have books that are about different aspects of humanity, about queer stuff, about, Jewish stuff, honestly, I have a book about coming out as an atheist that I hope one day will be out in the world.
0: When Lee Wind advocates for pride, he doesn't just do so for LGBTQ plus identities. That's where his books began. But now he also uses his voice as an author to promote pride for young people grappling with their Jewish and atheist identities. The commonality among these disparate identities for him is that they're minority perspectives that have a place in his life. They're perspectives that are often derided by the cultural majority. Lee's work across these subjects, these identities, shows how the emotion of pride has come to represent a specific feeling of defiance in the face of others' negative judgments This sense of pride isn't exclusive. Other versions of the feeling of pride still exist in current use. Indeed, as a point of emotional contention, pride seems to invite the development of multiple versions of itself. The understanding of pride as a rebellious self-assertion by socially marginalized people is a mirror image flipped around. Of the pride Mr. Darcy enjoyed as a powerful member of the elite at the height of the British Empire. But in our day, the ownership of pride as an emotional banner for underdogs is the most dynamic and contested understanding of what pride means. Carol Ruth Silverstein provides another window into this aspect of pride. She writes, about finding pride in disability in her award-winning novel, Cursed.
4: A good introduction to me, my debut young adult novel, Cursed, was drawn from my experience of getting sick at 13. And it's the little mighty book that could, it was from a smaller imprint, Charles Bridge Teen, but it did win a very prestigious ALA award, the Schneider Family Book Award, which celebrates the disability experience. And I'm really proud of the book. And I don't have another one coming out yet, but I am hard at work at, um, at a few different projects. Curse, like I said, is drawn from some personal experience, though it is fiction. It is about a 14-year-old girl, Ricky, who is newly sent to live with her dad. She's newly diagnosed with a chronic illness. She's pissed off at the world, sort of estranged from her family. In terms of emotionally cutting a bunch of school, and the book starts when she is her truancy is discovered and she's forced to go back to school and try desperately to pass ninth grade and not have to repeat the school year. And she is getting used to this new normal of hers, which involves a whole lot of chronic pain and feeling very damaged and um, getting bullied a little bit at school has a bad relationship with the doctor. So she learns to advocate for herself as someone with a chronic illness. It's a theme that's very close to my heart. I tend to write about young girls who are facing some sort of abrupt change in their lives and have to figure out who they're going to be going forward. And that's, you know, that's something that that definitely happened to me a few times as a young kid. And It's a theme that I think is very universal, uh, regardless of what the change might have been. And so it's something that I explore a lot in my work.
0: As a writer, Carol chooses the language she uses with care in order to articulate space for people to be open about their disabilities. Instead of using awkward phrases that attempt to avoid centering people's disabilities, she cuts through to the core of the issues that people deal with by using direct language. She refers to herself as disabled, not a person with disabilities.
4: There's a definite movement from, coming from my community, and those outside our community are sort of giving us pushback about the words that we use to describe ourselves, which is Frustrating. So, yes, disabled, disability, that is the word. Those are the words I use. And in fact, when I share my pronouns, uh, which are she, her, I have added disabled to that. And the reason for that is I see the practice of sharing pronouns. It's about identity, but it's also like a heads up. When you're referring to me, these are the pronouns that you should use, these are the pronouns that are authentic to my experience. I've had even some of my good friends sort of stumble, not really knowing what word to use to describe my physical condition. And so I put disabled, she, her disabled in there because I'm letting people know, this is the word that I use, this is how I identify. And when you refer to me, this is the word that I feel most comfortable with your using
0: as an individual carol struggles with the perception that her condition is a burden for people around her even when those around her demonstrate patience and support ironically others expressions of support for disabled people can unintentionally amplify their discomfort As an author, however, Carol has the opportunity to work through the more difficult aspects of these kinds of feelings to find ways to assert pride in her disabled identity.
4: There are moments where I still feel terribly apologetic for taking longer than average, you know, when I'm checking out at the grocery store because I've got dexterity issues in my hands and And I'm always like, I'm sorry. And the person behind me is, that's okay. Take all the time you want. So I wanted to portray this image of disability pride. You know, fake it till you make it. There are days when I don't feel it in my bones, but there are other days when I not only want to assert my pride around who I am and my disabled identity, but also to put that out there for other disabled people For disabled children, able bodied people that maybe only associate disability with something negative or something worth pitying or something that needs to be fixed. Again, it sort of comes to that pride, the concept of pride, instead of just moving through life anonymously and not caring and not making any sort of mark or difference and not loving who I am and not feeling comfortable in my skin. When I sort of assert my right to be on the planet, I take back my power that that was taken away from me, that is continually being doubted and, um, and diminished.
0: When pride is expressed as a person's declaration of their worth in the face of widespread presumptions of their inferiority, pride becomes an emotion that is emblematic of the validity of individual experience. Pride contains within it the implicit recognition of the right of individuals to define their own identities. Pride doesn't ask people what is true. It observes the truth and states it forthrightly. Carol's novel is thus a retelling of her own path to pride, but is also a kind of statement of the right of disabled people to feel pride even when the world tells them that they are flawed and broken, that there's something wrong with them. Its story is about a person learning to have pride in herself because of her struggle. Writing the book was also an opportunity for Carol to demonstrate pride in her own work, standing up for the integrity of her story's authenticity even when her editor admonished her to weaken the impact of her story to make it emotionally easier for people to read.
4: I was proud that I was able somehow to get that book written, sold, and published, and to really work with the editor. My editor, Monica Perez, was terrific. But there was one point that I had to sort of stand up and say, no, I don't want to make that change, where she... Uh, It was toward the end where everything's going wrong for the main character and she had messed up with a friend and she's got this big school assignment bearing down on her and she's just really freaked out about it and her pain is beginning to come back after a little bit of a break due to a new medication. And my editor said, you know, do we really need to have her pain come back? Can't we just give her a break? And I really put my foot down and said, no, first of all, that's how chronic illness is, it doesn't flare and reside based on your schedule. In fact, when you're stressed, a lot of times chronic illnesses will be more prominent because it, your stress level does have an effect. And also when you're starting with new medication, it fluctuates. So we wrote some things into the book so that it wasn't you know confusing to the reader, but that was one where I really had to assert my reasoning for wanting to keep that in. And that sort of speaks to some of the pride I feel when I've had these really, really painful periods or periods where, you know, my disability really hindered me in what I wanted to do. And I figured out ways to get around it
0: and to reach
4: whatever goal it was.
0: Carol's disagreement with her editor demonstrates that the struggle for pride is not a single achievement. Carol didn't just get through her adolescence and then emerge as a fully integrated adult who had it all figured out. She didn't just finish the narrative arc of her novel and then no longer have to struggle to put it out into the world. Pride is the manifestation of an ongoing struggle for a sense of entitlement to respect and belonging in the world. In a world as immense and multifaceted as our own, there will always be those who challenge the foundations of any claim to pride. What's more, pride can contain the catalyst of its own disintegration. Pride comes with a sense of entitlement to respect, but a sense of entitlement can quickly shift into an arrogant feeling of special superiority. As the popular aphorism puts it Pride goes before the fall and Carol describes that aspect of pride too as having the potential within it for self-defeat.
4: I have some experience with the the kind of pride that that uh, that is sort of a negative that is sort of self-defeating. I have a lot of you know compare and despair with other authors. Sometimes I look at my numbers on Goodreads or Amazon and compare them to a similar author, maybe maybe a similar book that didn't win the big award. and I, and I feel so slighted. Uh, and that's my pride. you know, My pride wants to have nothing but five star reviews. and it's, it's sort of uh, sometimes I have to lick my wounds when I face the reality that, you know, these other books, Like, for example, I'm not going to name names, but there was a book recently that won the same award that my book won. And it was actually an author who came up in my same debut group, the 2019 um, debut group. And I was so thrilled for her. And I got her book from the library and I read it and it was really good. And I was really happy for her. So I was really happy for her. And I went to Goodreads to leave her a nice review And I noticed that her book, that had just come out last year, had over a thousand ratings. And my book, which won the same award that came out in 2019, has like just shy of 400. You know, my little wounded pride sort of flared up. And, you know, at the same time, I realized this is ridiculous. But I also think, why? Why does my book have over a thousand ratings? It's been out three years. And my rational brain wants to tell me all these different um, possible reasons like a bigger publisher, a bigger PR um, push and whatever. But my little wounded pride is still, it still smarts a little bit when I am faced with this sort of evidence to boost the fact that I'm not as good as others or my book isn't as important. Um, I don't matter as much as these other people. And I, I want so desperately to matter. So that's, that's a, I definitely do struggle with the negative type of pride as well.
0: Even as Carol has successfully created an award-winning work of art that articulates a vision of pride for disabled people, she is aware of another kind of pride, a wounded pride that leads her to compare her own success to others' success in a way that undermines the power of her achievements. Carol wants to matter, but there's always somebody else who seems to matter more. And though her rational mind knows better than to make that comparison the standard for her success, it's emotionally difficult to look away. The competitive version of pride like this seems to be behind this year's controversies over Pride Month, the annual celebration of LGBTQ identities. Opposition from conservative groups has been directed at businesses that include Pride Month decorations and products. Target stores were vandalized, and Target employees were threatened by people opposed to Pride Month. Displays. In reaction, Target managers began moving Pride Month displays to the back of their stores, hiding them away in some parts of the country. And Target announced that it would stop selling some Pride Month products. Starbucks, the coffee chain, engaged in a similar withdrawal of Pride Month decorations. And in response, thousands of workers went on strike at 150 locations. Starbucks management claimed that there had been no coordinated corporate plan to reduce Pride Month displays, but that claim was contradicted by emails that showed regional managers of Starbucks communicating with each other about this, discussing their plans to mute signs of Pride Month at the coffee chain's many stores. Executives at Target and Starbucks had gambled that they could profit with a message that aligned the companies with LGBTQ pride, but their strategy backfired. And ultimately, the problem did not come because of the outrage of conservative protesters. It came from the superficial nature of the corporation's support for Pride in the first place. As soon as their alignment with Pride Month experienced even a small challenge, Target and Starbucks, they panicked, and they began to act as if by mentioning Pride Month they had done something wrong, as if Pride Month was something to be ashamed of. Through their actions, Target and Starbucks lost the trust of LGBTQ Americans and their allies. But in the process, they also failed to gain the trust of conservative organizations. Those conservative organizations continue to urge their followers to protest against Target and Starbucks. They won't be satisfied until every last trace of corporate acceptance of LGBTQ people is gone. So Target and Starbucks executives showed that they never really embraced Pride Month, but they had merely sought to profit from it through a performative display of what many call rainbow capitalism, pride that withdraws itself in shame at the first sign of trouble. And that's not pride at all. It's the opposite of pride. So they've made everybody angry. They've Broken trust with everybody on all sides of the issue. Why is pride so controversial like this? I'm wondering, is there something about pride that's always going to have a sense of conflict about it? If we view pride as a zero sum game, yes. If we work from a model of achievement that is competitive, then the pride that is achieved by some people is going to be interpreted as putting other people to shame. There will always be winners and losers in that kind of game. As in the English Empire of Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice, in which that character almost certainly gained most of his wealth through some kind of connection to the trade in and labor of slaves, there would always be some shame contained within his pride. A system like that elevates winners by creating losers. If, however, we could imagine another kind of achievement, one that simultaneously lifts up and creates opportunity for all people, then pride would not inevitably provoke conflict. If the pride of one group of people did not require the denigration of another group of people, then we could feel pride without negative undertones. Well, the trouble is that in order for such a purely positive form of pride to work, everyone would have to participate in it. And as long as we have a society in which some people view achievement as a limited resource, pride is going to provoke debate and controversy and resentment. And there are always going to be people who want to achieve at the expense of others. Because exploitation is, in a sense, a successful strategy. It's always going to be tempting for people to move themselves forward by shoving other people backwards. I'm not producing this podcast in order to present a vision of what people should feel, but to describe how people do feel emotion whether those feelings are right or wrong. Emotions are subjective, and that means that they belong to individuals first. Our emotions are primarily accountable to individuals, our own subjective perspectives. So we can't preach to people and force them to feel the way that we want them to feel. We can, however, pay attention to the way that other people feel, and learn to communicate with them more effectively and more persuasively. We also can learn to be more observant of our own emotions, to notice not just their broad strokes, but also their more subtle patterns. We can go beyond learning the differences between emotions to observe the complex dynamics within each emotion. And pride is an excellent example of emotional complexity. That is why Jane Austen made it the subject of her novel Pride and Prejudice. It's also why Prejudice was her conceptual partner to pride in that work. Mr. Darcy bragged to Elizabeth Bennet that he didn't need to worry about his pride because, quote, where there is real superiority of mind, Pride will always be under good regulation, unquote. Well, the trouble was that Mr. Darcy's belief in his superiority of mind was a sign that his pride was not under good regulation. In the same way that drinking alcohol makes people less capable of perceiving their drunkenness, pride can deceive people with its inflated self-estimation. Pride is all about self-perception. In good measure, pride doesn't need to suppose a superiority over others. Pride can simply be the feeling of being good enough, being a valid person with a point of view that is worthy of respect. And this podcast, Stories of Emotional Granularity, aims for that same kind of balanced respect for the point of view of emotion, this podcast doesn't propose that emotion is superior to objective knowledge, simply that emotion is equally valid as rationality, although its standards are different. So, as part of that project, next week, this podcast will consider another emotional perspective, this time shifting away from the enduring emotion of pride to the historically specific emotion of climate grief in our own time. Until then, thanks for listening.